if I'm a sales rep and I don't care about where my, how my wines are selling, what the pricing is, that it has no information on the web, if I don't give a shit, the store is not going to care. And the store is going to even care less when the wine is not selling. Hey guys, very pleased to announce that the top 100 wine list and top 100 spirits list and top 100 beer list is now out. You can visit top100lwc.com, top100lsc.com and top100lbc.com to check out the products. If you are a wine importer or a distributor or a retailer looking to add new products to your portfolio, I would highly recommend you to check this list out. This 100 SKUs are ready for your business and they will improve your bottom line. They are judged by quality, value and package and they are list curated from the London Wine Competition, London Beer Competition and London Spirits Competition. Check them out. Hi, welcome to the Wine, Whiskey and Weed Show. Today, my guest is Steve Fahey, who currently works as a fine wine sales management specialist at Gallo in New Jersey. And today we're going to talk to him about the role of a sales rep and how to sell effectively. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Great. And uh, the, one of the best things, Steve, is you have been a buyer at one of the iconic stores called Wine Library for almost six years. So this gives you a great perspective to sell to the retail now, I guess. Uh, could you just give a little introduction about your background, please? Sure thing. So I started up with um, working with Gallo's Fine Wine Sales Division uh, last summer. Um, coming off of actually seven years as the sales director at the wine library and essentially serving as the wine director as well for most of that time. Um, prior to that, I was actually the sales and wine director at Shoppers Vineyard in Clifton. Uh, and prior to that, I was essentially as a buyer at some uh, stores in Manhattan um, and worked the, the wholesale roads in Manhattan, mostly with restaurants on premise in Manhattan as well with Winebow uh, for a little while. So, my experience goes back about 19 years, um, probably 14, I think about 14 of which is actually in New Jersey, um, working with stores that have a pretty significant national footprint uh, insofar as online sales are concerned. So you're talking about working with different channels of distribution, uh, not only local, but regional, and thanks to the web, online, uh, national. Um, so you have to buy with always the idea and of how are you going to actually sell exactly every product that you buy? So is it an in-store item? Is it a promotional item? Is it an online item? Is it, uh, is it a highly scored item that's going to fly? Um, so there's all these different pipelines that you want to be able to create essentially and take advantage of when you buy. And, and, the, and the, the best scenario is obviously when you have multiple ways to sell the same item. So, you know, the idea of long tail niche marketing. So you buy fine wines and you're, you're looking to really move it and to sell it to a multiple, multiple groups of people, different types of customers in different circles um, through different vehicles. So, and obviously with the advent of social in the last two to three years in particular, not Facebook, but more like Instagram to develop, develop relationships and to engage, you know, new armies of customers. Um, social has really taken this to a whole other level. Um, so, but that's a quick little snippet. <laughs> great, great. I see that you're active a little bit on LinkedIn as well, you know, giving your thoughts about selling. Absolutely. So very interesting. 
Uh, one of the things, uh, Steve, which you know, I am a big advocate of is uh, I believe personally that the the most important person in the wine uh, supply chain, especially in the distribution and sales chain, is the sales rep. You know, that five minutes conversation that a rep is having with the retailer introducing your brand is the most important conversation. I mean, that determines whether your wine is going to go in that store again, ever or not. Uh, what's your thought on that? Well, uh, 100% agree, first of all. Um, so it depends. So yes, the, the role of the sales rep and whether that be a street sales rep who's selling a commodity type of wine that is in every store, so it's a points of distribution conversation, or if it's a, an, a manager level person or a fine wine sales type of person who is selling a kind of a higher end scenario, um, the, the sales rep is huge, not only as the first and lasting conduit for future business, but also is the is the obviously the he or she is the credibility maker or breaker when it comes to whether a company can do business with an account. So there sometimes it comes down as simple as personality, personalities match or they clash. Sometimes it comes down to the buyer or group of buyers sizing up that sales rep in about twelve seconds to determine whether this person is a serious and committed and will put in the work and put in the time to make that account strong or B, whether that person has an idea of and, and understand the nature of the market as it relates to that caliber of wine. We're going to stay with wine just for the sake of convenience. Um, so we're talking about knowledge level. We're talking about, you know, understanding the market's interest in certain things and whether that sales rep can be that kind of arbiter um also and there's, there's so many dimensions to this said um, i mean let, let's put that in a in a skill set you know what are you looking for in a good sales rep so as a buyer so i'm gonna put my buyer hat on now as a buyer i want a person who first of all understands the caliber of store or account that i'm buying for so if it's about points if it's about scores if it's about you know uh, a deal if it's about caliber of wine i want to i want a sales rep who knows my account intimately individually knows who my competition is and what is this sales rep going to do to make me strong and make me stand in relief to my competition and that competition could be within the town you're in or regionally or nationally online so what is that does that sales rep understand what I'm looking for. So it's a matter of, is this sales rep going to respect my time and present me with items that are going to make me strong that are fitting for what I do? Is this sales rep going to, so it's about respect to a certain extent of knowledge, respect of the caliber of the account. Um, so I want a sales rep who knows me and knows my account so we can cut through the formalities and just get me my product, get me my items. Um, personalities are going to be important, you know, uh, so having a personality that can be resilient and you have a thick skin. So being someone who is essentially Teflon coated, that you can be resilient because we're gonna, our relationship is going to ebb and flow. And it is a relationship. You know, the, the better buyers and by better buyers, I mean, the buyers who have been doing this for more than a year or two or those who are more recent that have an idea that this is actually a relationship. Um, 
those are the better buyers that you that that uh, hopefully a sales rep, every sales rep gets the opportunity to grow with. But you're going to grow with this individual. You know, you know that individual could, you know, make or break your your relationship with with the buyer with that account. But so someone who's knowledgeable, somebody who's not knowledgeable in terms of like where does Captain Sauvignon grow, but knowledgeable about how how are you pitching me this Napa Valley cab when I'm swimming in Napa Valley cabs? You know, what is it significant? What do you do that stands your Napa Valley cab in relief to the 50 other ones I just tasted in the last two weeks? Um, and that buy that sales rep being able to speak to, well, it's because it's made by this particular winemaker and you do really well with this wine and he made the wine or she made the wine for that winery. So it's about making connections and, 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 and speaking the language that that buyer speaks. Agreed. Um, so you said, you know, uh, you want them to know you. What are the right questions they can ask uh, to know the retailer? Well, first, they should definitely do the homework. And the other part, too, that I didn't mention, but it's hugely critical and very few people talk about it. Make sure you, as a sales rep, does the right homework on what that store has sold in the previous two years. So if you're a new sales rep going into a store, look back two years and look at the history of the buying and the sell-through and the sell-through of which brands that store or group of stores have done in the past. So do that if they have email promotions, uh, if, if the store has email promotions, or how do they sell their wine? Is it strictly in-store only? Is it in-store with flyers? Is it in-store with newspaper ads? Is it in-store plus um, wine events? Is it in-store plus wine events plus email promotions? Or is it, what do they have an Instagram feed is how strong is their social knowing all these pieces to really get a flavor for what that store is that's the homework a sales rep should do before they even go in the door talk to other sales reps in that company who have worked with that account so you understand the buyer or buyers that pull the triggers and pull the levers so doing that's your homework one, actually you know a yeah. lot of sales people i've seen asking is hey how's how's uh, steve you know how yeah. does he buy what does he like yeah, yeah you're right hugely important now i have to say this and in my role at Gallo, I've gotten tons of feedback on every single buyer with whom I've interacted. You have to take that feedback as with a grain of salt. It is not the it is one person's experience with that buyer. So I take that information and I file it in my head. But it's not like because I've done this. I've gone in with the presupposition that this buyer is going to be this way to me, and they're totally not. So the perception that you get from other people who've worked with those buyers. It's their perception, and you have to take that into consideration as well. It's just one or two people's perception. It's not going to necessarily be your interaction with that person could be totally different to the positive or to the negative. So all the homework about what kind of product the, wine, uh, the store has sold, what kind of buyer are we talking about? Is the buyer a wine snob, or are they a money person? Are they all about the deal? Are they all about talking quick language? Do they want to see you in and out of there in 2.1 minutes? Do they want to sit and have coffee and have, you know, all the ebb and flow about the buyer and then the buyer's and the buyer's power too. to what degree is that buyer really running the operation or is it ownership that really does all the trick, you know, so finding out who the players are. Um, got it, got it. The other, the other piece so I will I think, mention, uh, yep, sorry, go ahead. You know, the only other thing I will say that the other piece to make note of is what other companies is that account doing major business with? And that's significant. How's that relevant? Well, uh, it, well, you yeah. can go in there by A, understanding which products are dominating the shelves, B, having a conversation with other buyers to see. So are there relationships that are, have already been deeply developed 
Um, it gives you a sense of how uphill a climb you're going to have versus, well, we've always had a phenomenal relationship. Our company's had a phenomenal relationship with this buyer and with this group. So the, your insertion into the, into the picture, you're going to be kind of further along the, not learning curve, but further along the, the relationship curve. Um, so you don't have to work as much as developing relationship. Is it a, is it a long, slow roadway, ro- a slow burn, or is it going to be something that's quick and you can make decisions very quickly? So you know kind of what the pace and the temperature is going to be like going in there. So I think uh, just to give some perspective to our audience, you know, I've sold wine in about 28 states and the hardest state that I personally found was New Jersey. You know, you touched on a lot of points, which, you know, I just wanted to relate to the audience uh, because a lot of uh, our listeners are global. So in New Jersey, I mean, you say uh, you're exactly right. Like a lot of it's, it's one of the toughest states. Retailers are so rude, but it's the respect of the time. You know, they're busy. These stores are busy, like they are super busy stores. So uh, they're going to say, I'm not interested get the F out or whatever it is, you know, it's just the way they talk and they just want to come to the point. So give me the deal, I'll buy. And as you know, you know, uh, like 40% of the retailers are like Asian retailers who don't even drink wine, they want the deals. So I think uh, you're right. I mean, it, it's just, you just have to reverse engineer the store. Uh, uh, what I would say is, uh, you know, one more thing which you touched is the relationships, which is, you know, one important aspect here is for someone to come in, someone has to go out, right? So when you do your research, like how do you pitch uh, saying that, I mean, you'll have to eventually, if you're selling Australian wine, you'll have to sort of relate to some other Australian wine, right? Like how do you go about saying that, okay, this product is moving slow. I think I can move better than this. You mean a competi- like a competitor's product, for example? Yeah, because I mean, you know, all those shelf spots are taken. Like you will have to f- find a way to sort of hack your way in that. So this is the beauty of New Jersey. It's not a zero-sum game. And I think there are other markets like this as well. It's not a zero-sum game in the vast, vast majority, at least in my experience. And now in the last you know, six months in particular, it reinforces it. it is not a zero-sum game, meaning that a product doesn't have to go off the shelf in order for you to get it onto the shelf. If you're talking about a store that has like 200 SKUs in total, yes, that's the case. But New Jersey is a big store, big footprint business model where you have phenomenal speed, a lot of dynamic things happening because of the because of the the speed and the dynamism uh, how 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 crazy things change and how fast things change within stores and how quickly items will get sold through you are constantly experiencing opportunity and also because of the number of stores in New Jersey that are online they have a national reach in many cases now they may they may or may not be shipping um it almost matter but because the the consumers today are changing so fast and so dramatically and the volumes and, and the volume of consumers in the u.s is continuing to grow even though the rate of consumption has kind of slowed down a little bit but the volume the number of people who are coming and entering the market to learn to drink to purchase that number is constantly growing and you're having new people coming into the market every day because of that, it's not necessarily a zero-sum game. The buyers know that, and it's almost like there's an infinite market to a certain extent. So You're right. I think New you, Jersey is one of the gangster uh, states. I mean, the, the licenses are protected, and they just are like huge buyers. I mean, people have no idea that how big of a volume some stores do. Like, you know, I've seen container buys. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Now, New York's... New so York's let's, been, let's, 
Well, I'm going to answer your question because what that then allows for is uh, a a, a truly competitive uh, playing field for the best sales reps that can convey the best line of products in the best way with the best follow-up support, follow-up service, whether that be tastings, trainings, but helping the buyers to figure out ways to sell the wine. That's where the, 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 the sales rep and the better sales reps are constantly challenging themselves and constantly challenging buyers, even the onerous ones, challenging them to think differently about how to sell wine, even the old timers. I have this, I have this every single week, all the time with buyers who have been doing this for umpteen years. And I'll go in and I'll approach it differently. And then they'll bring in like four or five SKUs because I'm showing them a different way to sell it. You know, you see this, the best sales reps are constantly challenging themselves. They have they they are not afraid to challenge the buyer or group of buyers that are there, and are are open to churning the pot every now and then. Now, obviously, it's all relative to the particular account. Some works, some some don't. But um, because of that, it, it it actually opens up the playing field in New Jersey and definitely in New York City, which is even more wild wild west. In so far as the number of people who are constantly coming into the market to buy which is different and new all the time absolutely so i think uh main thing over here is uh just you know as you said like help the retailers sell through is what really the retailers want to hear and especially the mature retailers are in no mood to sort of listen to the the origin history i mean they just want to know how is that going to help them make uh, more money or depletions and things of that nature um, so let's let's go back in the wine sales rep mode. Uh, you know, how do you how can you advise a new sales reps or like young sales rep to plan their routes effectively? You know, Monday to Friday. I mean, we all know Monday to Thursday it's more of uh, the route, and then Fridays like tastings and merchandising. Like, what's your take on uh, effective week? I think that the the basics are obviously going to be critical. So making sure that you are touching that buyer as frequently as they need you to be in contact with them. So if it's twice a week, it's twice a week. If it's three times a week, it's three times a week. If it's once every two weeks, it's once every two so weeks. So do you have like a store persona? Sorry to interrupt, but do you have like a store persona? Like how do you keep notes? Like uh, let's say you have 80 accounts. Do you do you have like definitions of each? What are the requirements of each? In the beginning, you want to make any kind of notes, whether it be in Excel or uh, a relationship marketing database or any kind of notes that are gonna keep you on your toes and fresh at all times. So yes, in the beginning, you wanna be And how many to... accounts uh, do you do in a week? Well, I'm not necessarily a sales rep, I'm a fine wine specialist, so I have a kind of a different world, but sales reps can be, and it depends on the company. Some companies want incredible penetration into an account, so they might get them only like 40 or 50 stores. Some, some, some companies are about volume. So they, the sales rep might have like 80 or 120 stores. So it really depends on the nature of the beast of who you're working for, what company you're working for. If it's a volumetric store and it's a routine, you go in, you take your order and you leave. You know, that's actually, unfortunately, the vast majority of sales reps. The sales reps that want to be successful, yes, you have to go in and you have to take care of the basics. Make sure their orders are going in in the, in the, in the, in the perfect condition that it gets delivered when the, when the buyer wants it. All of those things have to happen. but the sales reps that are growing their business are those sales reps that are doing that in consistent ways. But every single time, like every time they're in front of that buyer, they should be looking for opportunities to further grow a, the relationship and be the number of SKUs 
and C, making sure that your products are placed correctly in the store and on the website if, it, if the store has a website. So there's a stewardship model that is becoming more and more a, a, a very required part of what a sales rep does. In other words, every item What's that you that stewardship model? Stewardship. So in other words, you sell, you know, let's take Allegrini, Allegrini Palazzo della Torre. You know, this is a product that's been around for a long time. It's not the different distribution distributors. So how is it priced in the store and online? How is it, is there point of sale on the shelf? Is it in a place that is at eye level or is it a fast moving location in the store? Is it presented correctly with the right scores, the right background wine information online? It's being, it's being a steward of the wines and everything that you place in that store. You better make sure that those wines are being presented correctly because you'll do this work to make the pitch and to place the, place the item and then it gets buried in the wrong section on the bottom shelf. So in terms of sales reps. Yeah? So it's basically sales reps responsibility to, to make sure. Oh, all the way uh, through. That, you know, all crossing the, the T's and dotting the I's. All, all the way through. So the salesmanship piece is most important. Like helping stores to sell through your specific wines will make you infinitely stronger, exponentially stronger if you do that. Now, it's a lot of, it's a lot of labor. It's a lot of work. But let me tell you something. Once you're doing it and it becomes part of your MO, not only does it become easier and quicker and faster paced for you as an individual, but the stores that, and I've said this many times in different capacities, the stores that know you and are working with you come to realize that, hey, this is important to Steve, so it should be important to me. If I'm a sales rep and I don't care about where my, how my wines are selling, what the pricing is, that it has no information on the web, if I don't give a shit, the store is not going to care. And the store is going to even care less when the wine is not selling. So in our content-rich environment, we have to make sure as an industry that the correct information is being presented. Everything from price to little you know, point-of-sale cards to scores on the web and content on the web on that particular item. And that's only going to become more and more important as stores migrate I mean, there are large chains of stores that don't even have a website still. That's only, it's only a matter of time where that's going to actually change over. So the, the, the faster you recognize that, the, the, the more money and the greater the business you're going to have. Just think of it, a sales rep is successful when he or she thinks of their run as their individual company, as their individual life. If they, if they see this as their lifeblood, as of what basically feeds them, and they take everything that they do, and they, they, they manage those details they will do exponentially better business than their counterparts. Absolutely. So you said, you know, uh, supporting the accounts. Uh, are there any specific uh, things apart from merchandising uh, on how you can support, like what kind of support programs you've seen working yeah, best oh, when you were the buyer? So the, yeah, and that's funny because as a buyer, I know that if you can't sell it, if you can't sell it, don't buy it. But many stores don't have a sales force on the floor. So it's really, it behooves the sales rep and the company that's selling those goods in to make sure that you have ideas to sell. So everything ranging from create massive incentives so they can buy a quantity of that one SKU, five, six, 10 cases, so it can be stacked on the floor. For those stores that like to stack, they stack it because they make more money on it. 
and they make more money on it. So they, and, and it makes an impression. So the whole catchphrase of stack it high and watch it fly. That's a very real thing. Stack that item strong, Love it. <laughs> you know, stack it high and watch, watch it, fly. it fly. Yeah. The reality is that you make an investment of 120 bottles, 10 case drop. You want to make sure that wine's going to sell through as a buyer. And also you want to make sure it sells through because you have an inventory footprint, but you're also making a ton of money on the, on the, and profit on that, on that 10 case buy. And so you have these incentives that have are quantity based that comes from the distributor to the buyer, but then you have all these things that a sales rep in a, in a company can do wine tastings in store for customers, uh, sales training for staff, make sure that every place that that wine is located and it should be in multiple places. So if, if it's a Cabernet Sauvignon from uh, Argentina, for example, an Argentinian cab, uh, or better yet, actually better examples, a Chilean cab, put it in the Cabernet section, put it in Chile, stack it in front of the store, get posters, get point of sale. If there are scores, make sure those scores are on that point of sale, but either the little shelf talkers or a bigger card. Um, do staff training, do, um, do in-store trade tastings for customers, do events, you know, get a food truck, and have, you know, if, the, if, this, if this buyer brings in 30 cases of this Cabernet, we'll have a food truck show up. We'll have some, uh, we'll hire a chef where it's legal. We'll hire a chef who will come in and, and will we'll show up in the parking lot and we'll create like, you know, food, wine-friendly food items and make an event of it. Build up the event. You know, the best stores are the ones that are promoters or promotion-driven and marketing-driven that happen to sell wine. You know, those are the ones that actually make these things work. So make it fun. Make it fun for millennials. Make it fun for people who want to be millennials. You know, um, do wine dinner. The wine dinner concept is a lot of work. If you, you have to do wine dinners consistently. That's one of the secret sauces. You have to do it consistently. And by consistently, I mean like one a month. I don't mean like one a week. I mean like one a month at the, at the slowest once every six to eight weeks. But if you do a wine dinner once a quarter, it will be so hard to do each wine dinner because people... When they cool off, when customers cool off, they don't come back to their wine dinners. If you're having a wine dinner at a store every month, you become known as that store that has events-based stuff. So the, you don't have to have a website, but you definitely have to have an email list or some kind of customer list that you can constantly be churning the, churning the, uh, uh, the pot with, so to speak. Um, but you have to have your customer list. So we didn't talk about that at all. But uh, yeah, think of promotions, think events. Um, help that that buyer excite the buyer excite the buyer to make this purchase and let's create an event let's do something fun let's do something exciting let's put you on the map even more so than you already are let's let's do something that none of your competition is doing you know and get creative get crazy you know, get crazy so i mean that's yeah it's been my favorite my my secret <laughs> so uh one of my secrets uh, was getting the influencers right so i used to get like i used to find the top five or 10 accounts, uh, which were the talk of the town, let's say Wine Library, Joe Canal, Buy Rights, and mm -hmm. so on, right? Mm -hmm. what's, what, what's your take on, like I used to get by hook or crook, big floor stack there. So that means, you know, all the sales trips are talking about it. it. The news goes fast to the retailers that are not buying, and then it comes back. What's, uh, what's your strategy on getting uh, 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 this, this kind yeah, of Yeah, I, I, I've heard that before also. It only matters to the buyers in those accounts. Uh, to whom it matters. In other words, when someone would come into me, not because I was at the wine library, but when someone would come into me and say, hey, we just placed this at restaurant Saranad, I don't care. I don't care where you place it. My universe is my universe. My customers are, are shopping here 
because they want to shop here. But what if your next door restaurant has it and your customer is asking again, for it? Again, only if it matters. To, if So if it's about one customer coming in and asking for it, I get it for them. But if it's about 15 customers coming in and getting it for me or constantly asking for it, yeah, that's a different conversation. That's something that becomes market intel. Like you got to have this wine because it's everywhere else. Let, but let's here. go further into this. How do, you build, how do you build inbound uh, inquiry, you know, it's just for my own like insight. Uh, I think this can be valuable for people. How do you build an inbound inquiry of your wine to that retailer? Great question. Huge important because a very simple thing is if the wine is not selling or it's not being asked for, why do you buy it or why do you reorder it? So it's, it actually is a challenge with every company because every company is going to have SKUs that are just dogs. And every company is going to have screws that are red hot. So you could go the route of restaurants. You could go the route of, you know, you know, a hen amongst the chickens idea where you have, you know, it's in every store around the store you're targeting. Um, you could have it where it's, I mean, social media is the most obvious relevant vehicle to make that happen today, um, where you flood all social media and, and, and target consumers who buy or, or look at or click through in certain types of images or, or sites, you know, use social media, Instagram being probably the number one, um, Facebook is just in second in my, in my experience, but Instagram is huge where you just flood social media where you have people who are, who are asking about it. Um, you can blow it up and have it more like at football games at hockey games at baseball games. Like you have know, you seen people showing you their phone and saying, do you, do you have this wine like Instagram feed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, Vivino you know, is a big one. Um, any of the other kind of wine critic websites. I'm not talking about Spectator. I'm talking about like the user-based wine critic websites. Um, that's going to be huge. So from the ground up, social is probably number one. Right now, it's it's the one that's actually most used because it's fast and it's instant and it's cheap. And it's free. <laughs> um, but the other way to do it is to, to put in your competition. Um, the days of like, putting full page ads in the spectator while people still yeah, that's do that plenty of times. That is not what's happening today. Like that is, yeah. cause it's so expensive. Um, Absolutely. I would give all that dollar back to the trade, like to the sales trip, to the retailer, to the distributor. Yep. 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 Um, and uh, so, I mean, and that is an important, that pull strategy versus a push strategy, which is distributor driven, that pull strategy, most company companies in the wine business, at least in my experience, they slash we are still learning how to do that effectively with certain with certain items. The other reality is place the wine and then do umpteen tastings in that store or in stores in that area so that you can generate knowledge and info on that particular wine or winery and then excite, um, you know, make the placement and then follow it up with a number of tastings, even events, you know, that can build a groundswell of in, inbound uh, requests or inbound marketing. Um, you make the placement and you follow it up with tremendous con direct to consumer types of events, connections, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Got it. So uh, we'll just uh, try and uh, end it here. Uh, just one last question. When your wines are not moving, right? You know, uh, what can sales rep do to help the retailer? Uh, I, I know st apart from the store tastings, like, you know, how do you advise the approach the retailer? You know, can, I guess swaps are illegal in some states. Yeah. So, not to overlook the obvious, but the question first is why is this not moving? 
is it correctly positioned on the shelf? Is it correctly priced on the shelf? Is it showing the right kind of scores information on the shelf? Does the staff there, is it a priority for the staff? Is it important for them to sell it? If they don't even know about it, when someone comes in to ask for a good Sauvignon Blanc and yours is not anywhere in the top 20 of what they would recommend, that's it. That's so do the due diligence of why is it not selling? Is it on the web? Is it even on the web? Is it, is it, is it incorrectly? You know, look at all the vehicles through which you can sell wine. Is it correctly positioned? Let's say you do all of that. And yes, it's priced right. Yes, it's at eye level on the shelf. Yes, the website, ha- it, it kind of floats to the top. Um, yes, it's showing up on Wine Searcher in the correct kind of high level position you want it to be in. Um, we haven't even talked about Wine Searcher, but that is pretty important, especially in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. And I think nationally with certain bigger stores as well, but not with everybody, but with a number of accounts. So let's say you do all of that and you're not, it's still not going. The distributor then, it, it behooves the distributor to look at what incentives are we giving to retailers to make sure that this is something that they want to keep in the front burner. Okay. So are the, are, is the pricing, is, is, there, is there profitability built in for the retailer, for the merchant to keep this as a strong player in their store? Um, and it's the sales rep's job to constantly feed back to management, to brand managers, to sales directors within each company. Look, this particular sparkling wine is a dog. It is not selling at all. We need to come up with a plan, like fast. And it, and it behooves the sales reps to do that because it, it directly affects their relationship with their accounts. Because not only because if they're not making money, but if that sales rep is perceived to have products that just are dogs, that sales up's going to get less and less and less play over time. And you don't want that. You're right. It's about the reputation. It's yeah. just the accounts and oh, the huge. relationships. Oh, it's huge. Yep. So, the, so you, you feed the information back to now. And obviously the, uh, the, the usual stuff of the sales rep doing often to do tastings, helping the, 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 the merchants to sell through those wines, um, doing all the things that we've already spoken about, all of that being done. But if none of that is still working, that feedback loop back to brand management, back to you know ownership of the wholesaler, depending on the size, um, is hugely important for the sales rep to take ownership in the reality that this wine is not a dog. And don't throw up your hands. I know it can be exhausting, especially if you have like 50, 60, 70 items in a merchant in an account that one or two items is not selling. Don't throw up your hands and say, hey, I did what I could. I'm going to move on. And I understand in terms, I understand in terms of time, I understand it all too well. Like I don't have the time to focus on this one item, but one item can become three, become six, become, you just don't care anymore. You know? So you're right. I think at the end of the day, I would just buy it all, you know, but build, keep that relationship. Yeah. Huge. And then at the end of the day, also, maybe you cut that skew and you replace it with another skew that you make more money on or that your gold on more significantly. So if it's a matter of cutting one skew to benefit you with taking in another skew, that's obviously an option as well. Probably most supplier leadership doesn't want to hear that, but the reality is that that's, that's a very real thing. It happens a lot where you, you literally kill one of your SKUs to replace it with another one. That is actually more important to your company than the one that we're talking about. You know what I mean? True. Fantastic. Any ending tips for the suppliers or importers or distributors, uh, sales staff that you would advise that they can apply? Um, I can't under, I can't under, uh, undervalue the concept of focus enough. In other words, 
once you focus on the accounts, they're going to make your company strong. Focus on the accounts that have the greatest traje- potential trajectory, potential upswing. Focus on the accounts that are going to make you, you know, wealthy, strong, powerful within your brand universe and also within your own, you know, you know, revenue stream. Um, and then once you get those accounts selected, focus on them, own them, eat them alive, like really be integrated engage with those buyers and look as a buyer I, I said this before i'll say it again if it's not important to you it's not going to be important to me so make your items as a sales rep important to me as a buyer and do it by hook or by crook or by whatever means necessary um, but do it in a way that shows the respect and the value that that account has for you in your world. So there's nothing that a buyer hates worse than to be told, like, listen, I can't really sell this to you because I'm selling it to the store across the street, which has happened on many occasions to me. And I couldn't believe the salesman had said that, but they said that to me. So when, when a buyer doesn't take my account, whether you be a small mom and pop, one person operation or mega, mega chain, it's, it's the same, the feelings and the, and the results are the same. You're that sales rep for that account. They are number one in your eyes. And that's the way that, uh, you know, the best, strongest buyers, you know, they develop a relationship and relationships go through challenging times and, and relationships should challenge each party constantly in a good way, all with the guy idea of making that account stronger. And if you can scale that methodology as a sales rep, you'll be very successful at all levels of management or individual direct sales reps, et cetera. But being able to scale that focus and the support and that love of that account is a very significant thing that's what that's I'd say. Spot on. I think, yeah yeah absolutely i think you mean like care for your accounts and that goes a long way